welcome. It's good to see everyone here tonight. God bless you all. We want to welcome all of you today. Those on Facebook and YouTube. YouTube. It's always a joy to have you here with us as we are in our second week, our Bible study in the book of Joshua that we've entitled Entering the Unknown. Now we're not going to have individual titles for each sermon. So we have one theme, Entering the Unknown, and we'll be looking at the chapters, each chapter under that teaching or that theme of entering into the unknown. And as we said last week, setting the the tone that God was doing something very special at this time. It was a time of transition for Israel. Moses had died, and of course this was devastating for the people of Israel. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that they mourned for 30 days. Isn't it interesting that they didn't appreciate him while he was alive, but when he died, they mourned his death for 30 days. Isn't it strange, but isn't it true? We don't, you know, we don't appreciate each other at times the way we should, but then, God forbid, something happens and we're at this. You ever go to funerals and you hear their testimonies and the tributes of some people? You'd think they were some kind of like, I don't know, some superhero or something that, it's almost, is, is, is this the same person I know? You know, we always seem to appreciate people at funerals. But what about while they're alive? They cursed Moses while he was alive. They complained, they murmured against him. But once he died, they mourned his death. 30 days they were devastated and God appeared to Joshua and told them Joshua Moses is dead I'm calling you to take my people into the promised land Moses couldn't come to the promised land we all know what happened he got angry and he smote the rock instead of speaking to it and as a result of that he couldn't enter into the promised land Some people say, how devastating is that? Why would that happen? Well, you know, quite frankly, it's very hard to grasp all these things. All I know one thing is when, when someone has so much revelation and so much knowledge and so much experience with God, there's a greater judgment on that individual. What do you think James tells us? Don't seek to be teachers. You seek to be a teacher, to be a leader, that's a good thing, but you got to be careful because your life you're going to be accounted for a lot of things. You know, yeah, I, I, being in leadership, it's a wonderful thing, but I'll tell you something, it's a very sobering thing as well. Make sure that if God has called you to be a leader, a teacher, that you're living a life that's worthy of your calling, you'll be judged by the things you do, and the things you say, I would say even a greater way than the average person if I can use the word average. And that's a reality, that's a biblical thing. And Moses was severely judged for what he did. But God commissioned Joshua to do several things as he enters into the unknown. This promised land was filled with giants, the land was different. 
He wasn't sure what was going to happen. And many times God will call us into a place. We're not sure what's going to happen. We've never been there before. We don't know what we're going to do. And so the question is, how will you respond when you face the unknown? And so last week we discussed that God caused Joshua to remember his past. Joshua, I know this is a very daunting task. Moses is dead. You're taking his place. Can you imagine taking the place of Moses? He needed to be encouraged. So he told Joshua, remember the past, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you, Joshua. I don't want you to forget that. Number two, last week we learned that God commissioned Joshua to perform a specific task. It's very important that in life we understand or know what God has called, you to, called us to do. If you don't know what God has called you to do, it, it, it would, it, it's going to hinder your life each and every day. Without a vision, my people perish. There'll always be something missing in your step. There'll always be something missing in your life. There are so many people, like a leaf in the wind, they're tossed with no direction because they don't know what God has called them to do. But you can know, and we talked a lot about that last week. He had a specific task to go into the promised land, to take the land that was given to them. And in that course, and in that course of action, God was going to give him directions. He didn't, he didn't exactly tell him what to do. He said, you just trust me, go in and I will speak to you, and I will guide you as you enter into the promised land. Number three, then God challenged Joshua to respond with poise. He says in verse six, be courageous three times, be strong three times, be courageous, be strong, be courageous, be strong. And you're going to need this, Joshua, because you're going to face giants that are so powerful that in the natural realm, it will cause you to fear and run away. But I want you to know that the giant before you is not greater or bigger than the God that is in you. You trust. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Trust in me, despite all the giants that will come against you. God challenges Joshua to respond courage, faith. And that's what will happen to all of us. We said last week that these lessons we are going to learn, these stories apply to us today. Especially when God is doing a new thing. Especially if you're going through a time of transition. A time of the unknown is inevitable. You see, my friends, life's currents can lead you to unexpected shores. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Sometimes God leads you, and you're not sure why, you don't even know where, but He's leading you. He's guiding you into the unknown, and you know when you face obscurity and ambiguity, it's very important that you have some understanding of what to do. And God gives Joshua understanding and he responds a certain way that all of us need to respond when we face the unknown. And so we come to verse 11 in our text. We left last week in verse 11 of chapter 1. And we come to the first ambiguity and the first problem 
that never took place before, something that Joshua did not experience, something that Israel did not experience, and this was the command given by the Lord. Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare yourselves for victuals or food, for within three days ye shall pass over the Jordan to go and possess the land which the Lord your God had given you. And in chapter 5, verse 12, we know that the manna had ceased. Now this heavenly welfare system, this delivery system, was over. It was a new day. Something new was taking place that never took place before. They were used to being fed by God. For 40 years, they didn't have to change their shoes. 40 years, they didn't have to change their robes. Can you imagine that? Your clothes didn't wither away from the heat and the dust and your sandals. Your clothes, everything stayed intact. Can you imagine? 40 years! You didn't have to change your clothes. And that's, 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 that's almost, that's, that's unconscionable. <laughs> but God did one miracle after another miracle, he provided their food, their clothing, every, their water, every single thing was provided for them like a father and mother provides for their infant children. Now stay with me, because children become a very important element to this story. You see, Israel were the children of God, and this was a new day. And so God wanted to bring him into another level. How many times do we baby our children? And some of us baby our children too long. And that can be a problem. Now, you know, we find it cute when you see a little baby eating pablum. And some of the pablum goes down its face. And that's so cute. And, ah, and they're crying. and they're, It's kind of a cute thing. Can you imagine this little baby who now is 16 years old still has the pablum going down his face? <laughs> yeah. Seems kind of weird. There's something wrong with this child. Well, you see, there are a lot of people like that spiritually they're grown men but they're living like children and how do I know you're doing that you're allowing your flesh to control you you allow your emotions to control you you're walking by sight rather than by faith and God is about to teach the children of Israel many lessons so they can grow up and become mature and friends this becomes the key and really, this is God's goal for every believer. You see, God takes us as we are, but He doesn't want us to stay where we are. He wants us to grow and to develop. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Why do we come to church? Why do we read the Bible? It's all about our growth. It's all about growing. God has called us to graduate into different levels spiritually. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1, the Bible tells us, now watch this now, it says here, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and of the faith towards God. To grow up, going into another level, the principle, what these principle teachings, these early teachings, these, these fundamental teachings, but let us go on to perfection, to maturity. We must develop into maturity. It's a sad commentary because there's many, there's some people who have been in the church for 30 years. They're still at the same level. 
It's a travesty, but it's a reality. God's goal is for us to grow. And when He takes us into the unknown, when things happen in your life that you're not sure of, when you come across perhaps a closed door, there's a reason for it. When you come into a situation you're not sure of, there's a reason for it. And many of us get upset, we complain, we remember, but we don't look at this as an opportunity for growth. So we look at it, and we get upset, and we don't, why is this, and how, but this, can it be an opportunity that God is bringing us to a place where we need to exercise faith because God wants to teach you something that you would not learn if the door wasn't closed. So everything we go through is for growth. Everything we experience has purpose. Nothing just happens. And it's always God's goal for us to mature, to be stronger, just like it is naturally for parents. I have three children. I was thrilled when they were little children, infants. But you see, I, I wanted to see them grow. It's normal. You don't want to have your children stay. It's impossible. You want to see them grow and develop and perhaps get married one day and have children. See, that's natural. Well, so it is spiritually. God's desire is for us to grow, to have spiritual children, to win the lost, that Christ be seen in us. It's the same thing. He told Adam, multiply, go, be fruitful, and multiply. He tells the church the same thing. Go, be fruitful, and multiply spiritually. So what he told Adam physically, he tells the church spiritually. But it's all based on maturity. If you're not mature, you have no passion to evangelize. If you're not mature, you have no passion to make a difference in this world. If you're not mature, then you're going to be led astray by your emotions, and by your feelings. And the Hebrew people were plagued with emotions. The ten plagues that hit Israel had nothing in comparison to the emotions of the people of Israel. Moses, why is this? How come? Why God? We were better off in Egypt. At least we ate some onions and cucumbers. Oh, we had it better in Egypt. What are we doing here? Why are you bringing us here? Why? why? After all the miracles they saw, they still didn't believe. Let's not get too judgmental because some of us are like that as well. God was bringing him into another level. And you'll never grow to another level until you face the unknown. The unknown propels you to do things you wouldn't do ordinarily. The unknown propels you to act a certain way, to believe a certain way, to trust a certain way. All of a sudden, the manna stopped. The provision for food had ceased. But God was doing something. You see, friends, they are now to enter into the promised land. But God had already given to them. Already the promised land was given to the people of Israel. The point is, they had to possess their possessions. Possess their possessions. It's like a check. Someone might write you a check, but it's not until you go to the bank and cash that check in that it, it's worth anything. Before you cash the check, it's just a piece of paper. 
And we see this in 1 Peter. The Bible tells us that God has given us all things that pertain unto godliness. He's given us all things. But Paul keeps encouraging us that we need to walk in this blessing. But most, many of us walk beneath our blessings. Beneath our blessings. We are to walk in our blessings. To walk worthy of our calling. And this is the principle that God wants Israel to understand and to receive that they needed to possess their possession. So as we see it physically take place with Israel, we see that taking place with us, spiritually, the church. So as Israel was to possess their possessions physically, we are to do that spiritually. We'll get a little bit deeper later about this matter. And so they had to possess their possessions. They're going into this place and the manna has ceased and he has a directive from the Lord that they are now supposed to pick up the manna and that took place in Joshua chapter 5 but a whole lot of things took place before that and the first problem we see I want you to notice verse number 12 of chapter 1 we come across a problem and the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh spoke to Joshua, saying, Joshua, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land? Your wives, your little ones, your cattle. Verse 15, But ye shall pass before your brethren, armed with mighty men of valor, and help them, until the Lord hath given your brethren rest. Sorry, I'll repeat that again. And so here we see, what Moses said, that you are to go to the other side of Jordan, but you must pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and you've got to help them fight this battle. Until the Lord's given you brethren rest, you keep fighting, as he hath given you, and they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth to them. Ye shall return unto the land your possession, and enjoy it which Moses the Lord servant gave you on this side, the Jordan towards the sun rising. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do, whatever you said. So there's a problem here. There's a problem that arises. Now watch this now. This is very important because this is significant, extremely significant to what is about to take place. In Numbers chapter 32, one day we see the same story taking place here. Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh were shepherds. And they said, Look, Moses. This took place in Numbers. We're now in Joshua, but the same thing takes place in Joshua. Everybody with me? And so, these same people, Reuben, Gad, Manasseh, shepherds, said, you know what, Moses, we like it here. We don't want to cross the Jordan. We don't, we, 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 we don't want to cross into the other area. It's a lot comfortable here. There's fertile land. We, we, we don't want to cross. We like to settle right here on this side of the Jordan. We think it might be better here than over there, Moses. And then the Bible tells us that Moses got very angry with them and their disobedience. He said, all right, you want to do that? If you want to do this and settle down, there's some conditions. You have to send men to fight with us. You got to go back. And then, as we defeat the enemy, you can go back and settle in the land. But you're not going to settle here unless you bring your men and fight with us. Oh boy, do I see some principles here. Isn't that like some of us today? We want the benefits without the requirements. Uh, 
We want, a, we want a dog, but we don't want to walk the dog. Yeah, yeah. We want a cake, but we don't want the recipe. We don't want to deal with the issues. We, we like rainbows, but we don't like the rain. You know what David said? I will not sacrifice of the Lord my God of that which costs me nothing. We want shortcuts. We want to get there as easy and as simple as possible. I don't want to have any headaches. I just want to do it quickly. I don't want to give myself to anything. I just want to do it quickly and get there quickly because, because I, I just don't want to sweat. I don't want to get myself into... I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to get my feet wet. I don't want to go through this battle, Moses. I just want to settle here. I want to take it easy. I don't want to fight. Moses says, you're not going to, it's not going to happen like that. Because if you don't get into the battle, you will never learn to appreciate the land that you have. And that's where we miss it as parents. Sometimes we give our children everything too quickly. Too quickly. And I've learned this the hard way, believe me. We give it quickly. We do it quickly. We do it all for... We don't want them to suffer like we suffered. So we give them everything. But we don't realize because they haven't had a battle and they haven't gone through some storm, they're not going to appreciate it when they get it. And they're not going to teach their children anything. This is what we have here. Moses says, no. If you don't fight with us, you're not going to get the land. Today, in our generation, we have children that are living with their parents till they're 40 years old. It's happening more and more and more. It never used to be the case. Now, I don't want to offend anybody if that's the case in this room, but I'm just trying to tell you, things have changed. There's more entitlement today in our children. They want to get things right away. They, they don't... Gimme, gimme, gimme! There's no sweat! No battle! Nothing I have to go through. Just give it to me because I'm entitled. This is exactly what we see here. They wanted the fertile land, but they didn't want to fight for it. They didn't want to go through anything. They want the product without the process. <laughs> they wanted to enjoy their inheritance without a battle. My friends, that principle applies to us today. It does not work. Salvation is free, nothing you can do. But discipleship will cost you everything. Everything. We don't hear much about that today because we love the gospel where God is some kind of cosmic Santa Claus where he comes and blesses us with anything we want. We have turned God into a cosmic bellhop. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You want me to? I'll take your bags to your room. Just need to polish your shoes. God now has become a servant. God exists for us. How, what kind of travesty is that? God doesn't exist for us. We exist for Him! Paul said to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. No, they wanted shortcuts. They wanted the easy way out. See, friends, there's a time for war. We're in a battle. There's a time for challenges. And as we face the unknown, we will have challenges. And how we respond to our challenges will mature us 
or cause us to live in adolescence for the rest of our lives. And there's too many mature Christians or older Christians who are still eating pablum today because of this principle. They don't read the word, they don't study, they don't pray. I talked to somebody a while ago, said to me, Pastor, I missed, I missed the message. It really devastated me. I said, well, here's my text. You can read, read the text. You can study it. I remember just as if it was yesterday. He says, no, 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 no. I just wait each week to get my food. That's all. I just I come to here and that's, what? So this person's idea of reading the word is coming to hear a sermon once a week. And many times he doesn't even come to church. Listen, friends, if, if you're only receiving the word once a week, you're, you're going to be starving. Seriously starving. And for some preaching I hear today, you're really going to be starving. If I can be honest with you. You've got to do it for yourself. The Bible is not given just for information, but for transformation. It's got to get into your heart. You've got to study. There are things you need to apply for yourselves. And this is the principle that God wanted to teach Israel. They were so used to getting everything. Everything was at their doorstep. God was doing something different. Judges chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, we see the same principle. Watch this now, watch this now. Now these, watch this are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. So when they entered into the promised land, there were nations that God used to chasten Israel, to strengthen Israel, to fight against Israel. So battles that we go through, if our hearts are right, are to strengthen us, not to destroy us, to prove, to test, even as many as Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan. What does this mean? Only the generations of the children of Israel, verse 2, might know to teach them war at at least such as before knew nothing thereof. Now why is this important? Because they learned something through their battles. If you don't go through a battle, what are you going to learn? When thou goest through the fire, not around it. You see, when the fire comes, we don't like fire. We don't like furnaces, so we want to go around them. We want to avoid them, and I understand that. It's natural, but God says, listen, when you go through, you got to go through it. You got to go through it. See, if you don't go through it, you're not going to learn. If you don't go through it, you're not going to have a battle. You need to go through that fire. You need to go through that furnace. And the people of Israel, the Bible says, some of them didn't fight the battles, and they suffered because of it. Sometimes we think the trials we're going through is too devastating. How am I going to survive this? Listen, if you were not through that battle and you weren't going through it, you would have never learned the principle that's kept you going till today. We're in a warfare, my friends. But we're not fighting against flesh and blood like the Israelites were. There are imps spiritually in the heavenlies that are out to destroy you, to devastate you. And, and as I've been saying lately, more and more, listen, you're going to have a battle just because you're walking with God. That's it. Just because you're walking with God, there will be battles. Just because you know Christ, there's going to be battles. Don't say to yourself, oh Lord, how come, why? I don't understand. I'm a Christian. Listen, because you are a Christian, you will go through certain battles. 
And I can tell you this, if the devil isn't fighting against you, then maybe he's walking with you. Now you think about that for a moment. I've heard people say, well, you know, I don't talk about Baba, I'm fine. I got a great job, I go home, my wife and I, we're great, we're fun. We're going, yeah, we're going on vacation next week. Well, maybe the devil doesn't care about you because you're not making any difference in this world anyway. He's got you exactly where he wants you. Why should he waste his time on you? Now, of course, I'm making a point. I'm not, I'm not speaking to anybody here personally. Except there's that one person on YouTube. No, I'm just kidding. But, but my point is that are these battles is what is going to mature them. Now, God is fighting for them, but they need to get into that fight. They need to get involved. You've got to get involved. Fight the good fight of faith, Paul said. Nehemiah said, fight for your children. Fight for your wife. Fight for your husbands. We're in a battle. And so, the application of chapter 1, just before we go into chapter 2, I'll give you some principles that begin with P as we close this section and our life lessons. There will always be life lessons. Number one, promises are often tied up with performance. I know we don't like that word performance, and I understand we're not to perform, but there are certain works that we need to do. I know we don't like to talk much about works. We're not saved by works. I understand that. It's talking about salvation, but I guarantee you, if you're saved, you're going to want to work. I guarantee you, if you're truly saved, you can't bear fruit unless there's work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What do you think Christianity is? Oh yeah, I'm saved. The pastor, I'm with a couple of guys. Oh, I'm saved. Oh really, that's wonderful. No, I'm just going to, you know, God's fighting my battles and that's great. And they just come and sit down. They warm the pew. They never get involved. That's not why God saved you. God saved you. Yeah, yeah. For a reason. To make a difference in this world. Why do you think Jesus called you the salt of the earth? Salt has no effectiveness unless you put salt on something, it's meaningless. If I don't put salt on my steak or whatever you do, I don't eat much steak, but whatever the case is, salt gives you flavor. Salt can't give flavor unless it's contacting something, touching something, involved in something, into something. Do you hear what I'm saying? Salt can only be effective if it touches something. Get involved doing something. Promises are tied up with performance. Now, Joshua, I want you to pick up your manna. I'm not just going to hand it over to you. I want to teach you something, Joshua. I want you to sweat a little bit. I want you to understand what it means to work and to appreciate. Faith without works is if ye be willing and obedient, if ye be willing and obedient speaks of doing, Isaiah 119, you shall eat the good of the land. If ye be willing, number one, and obedient, number two, which is works, 
obedient to obey the word of God, to obey what it says, to do what it says. If, there's an if, you do that, you will eat the good. The ten virgins, five had oil, five did not. True? What happened to the five that did not have oil? They got locked out. They went to, to go and buy some oil. When they came back, it was too late, correct? Brothers and sisters, you have to get your own oil. Hmm. I can't give it to you. People looked at Pastor, can, I can't give you any oil. I got oil. You got to get your own oil. You got to work out your own salvation. Pastor can't do that for you. You got to give your own hallelujah. I can't say a hallelujah for you. I can pray for you. But if it's not you, then nobody is saved through osmosis. Something that you're called to do. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, the Bible says. Number two, our possessions need to be possessed. We're in a race, my friends. And what does the Bible say? When you're in this race, you've got to lay aside those weights that so easily, what? Got to get rid of those weights. Too many people are trying to run the race with Christ, and there's all kinds of baggage in their lives. You can't run with baggage in your lives. For goodness sake, even if you're running a marathon, this speaks of a If you're running a marathon race, and you're even three pounds overweight, it's going to affect you. I'm not exaggerating. I've been in a marathon. I know what I'm talking about. You can't run any race if you're not in shape. It's impossible. You won't last. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Exercise yourselves unto godliness. Exercise yourselves unto godliness. It's the English word for exercise is the word gymnasium. It's the Greek word gymnastiki. Gymnastiki speaks of calisthenics. Exercising. Paul is talking about, you, as you exercise physically to get in shape, you need to do that spiritually. That takes sweat. You think you, think you can win an accident, a, a marathon by accident? Yeah. Oh yeah, I won the marathon last week. Oh really? So you, you, you won a marathon? Yeah, I, I beat everybody. You won a marathon, didn't you? Just, just like that. It is impossible to run a marathon unless you've prepared for it. Unless you've had a, a time of sweating on a serious level. Look, friends, nobody wins a marathon accidentally. Nobody gets a diploma accidentally. No one gets a promotion accidentally. Nobody gets a degree accidentally. No, 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 friends. There, there, you need to be tangible. There needs to be something that you have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. You, you, can, you decide. It's intentional. There's preparation. There's sweat. There's focus. Focus. Discipline. Oh, there's a word we don't hear much about today. Discipline. You want to talk about discipline? If you're going to run a marathon race, it's going to take about as much discipline that you can have. I'll tell you, friends, it is the, one of the hardest things to do, but it takes discipline. 
That's what Paul is comparing the Christian life with, this marathon race. Look, folks, true Christianity is the hardest thing to follow, spiritually speaking. And unless you are disciplined and willing to surrender your life, you will never be able to run this race. When the Bible says to lay aside those weights, he's talking about dying to self. You can't serve God and yourself at the same time. You can't serve God and your pleasures at the same time. It doesn't work that way. What do you, what do you think? When you're preparing for a marathon or if you're in any kind of sports, you've got to sacrifice. Sometimes it's going to be with your family. You've got to sacrifice sometimes the foods you like. You've got to sacrifice maybe some entertainment. You've got to wake up at times at, what, 5 o'clock in the morning maybe to go and practice or run while everybody's asleep. And while everybody's sleeping, you're running. You don't win marathons accidentally. And so it is in the spirit realm. And this is what God was trying to teach the people of Israel. Number three, God promises require patience. Patience. Now what did we just learn about Manasseh and Gad and Reuben? They wanted the land right away. God said, wait a minute, what are you doing? You've got to come and fight with us. It's better on the other side. God says we're going to the other side. But I want it now. I don't have time to get there. I see the land is good here. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Lot? Remember Lot and Abraham? Abraham. God promised Abraham all the land. And, and, and the, the herds were growing. Lot's herds, his nephew were growing. Abraham goes to Lot. Say, Lot, listen, our herds are growing. We can't stay together. I got to move or you got to move. What part of the land do you want? We were outgrowing each other. Lot looked around. He saw Sodom. All the lush greenery he saw the wonders of Sodom and Lot says I want to go to Sodom nice there it's fertile there it's exactly what the Reubenites and Gadites and Massonites did they wanted the land on the east side they weren't willing to fight and wait a little bit longer to go on the other side see God's delays are not his denials at times he says you gotta wait you gotta wait you gotta wait trust God to get you to the other side do you know the one mistake that Abraham did has caused more harm than possibly you and I will ever know what was Abraham's greatest mistake this is the friend of God this is Abraham, arguably the greatest patriarch. Do you know what this man did that we still suffer today? He couldn't wait for the promise that God gave him. So he tried to help God out. He says, God, it's a long time here, you know. It's like you promised me a son, but my goodness, Lord, maybe, maybe I should have a son with her, or maybe I should have a son with... So he goes to Egypt. Listen, friends, whenever you go south and you go to Egypt, you know you're going to get into some trouble. He goes to Egypt. He doesn't trust God. But the promise, it took too long. And he meets Hagar. And he has a baby with Hagar called Ishmael. And ever since that baby was born, 
Nothing, Ishmael didn't cause a problem. Abraham did. Ishmael became a problem on so many levels it's almost hard to even say. He had a problem with the promised son, Isaac. He had promised. He was kicked out with his mother, Hagar. There was bitterness. Eventually, Ishmael grew up. The Bible says he's a wild child. He'll be a great nation. And through Ishmael, the Arab race, the Semitic race, grew and grew and grew. And today, we suffer the consequences of the Palestinians versus the Hebrews. We have the problem of the Muslims versus the Jews and the Christians. All because of this mistake. God allowed it. My point is, Abraham couldn't wait. Number four. What did we learn with chapter one? We progress with perseverance. Perseverance, oh my friends, or endurance. It's very similar to number three, but this is a little bit different. Endurance. It's a great scripture found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Look what the Bible says. He's speaking to us, the church, and he refers to us, Paul, the church, as soldiers. We are all soldiers. He speaks to us in Ephesians as soldiers. And look what it says here in chapter 2, verse number 3. Therefore, endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, for no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. He may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You've got to persevere. You, have, you, can't, you can't spend time entangling yourself with the things of this world. You can't spend time on the things of this world. You, you, you don't want to be ensnared by the ways of the world. We are soldiers of the cross. We're on a different level spiritually. We have a different mandate. We're soldiers. We have the armor of God. We're dressed for battle. To touch lives. To make a difference. To press on to the prize of the mark of the high calling. I can't afford to entangle myself. I must persevere. Go into the promised land, Joshua. And I want you to take the land. I don't want you to stop here. I want you to keep going past Jericho. Into Ai. After you go into Ai, I want you to go further up into Eglon, in all these areas. I don't want you to stay still. I want you to persevere and endure to the end. What did Jesus say? He that endures to the end shall be endurance, perseverance. But you must be careful not to entangle yourselves with the Jebusites. Don't entangle yourself with the Canaanites. Oh, they're going to influence you. They're going to want to rob from you. They're going to want to touch your lives. The Moabite women will want to sleep with your men. Be careful. Don't entangle yourself. Be focused as you enter into the unknown. Keep your eyes on me, Joshua. Listen, friends. Ships don't sink because of the water around them. Ships sink because of the water that gets in. Don't let what's happening around you get inside of you. Be careful. Let me put it to you this way. We are not of this world. 
That's what Paul says. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. Whales are mammals. They are not fish. Whales are mammals. They are not fish. But these mammals live in water, as do the fish. Are y'all with me? But they're mammals. They're not fish. Fish have gills. They don't need to breathe air. But whales, on the other hand, being mammals, need air. They live with the fish, but they're different. They breathe differently. They act differently. They, they do different things. They must go up every 20 minutes or a half hour to breathe air. Otherwise, they will drown. They will die. They need air to breathe. As Christians, we live in this world filled with fish, so to speak. But we are not of this world. We need to come up out of the water and breathe some air. Come out from among them! You're mammals, you're not fish. Don't let the fish influence you. You can't survive in the water unless you breathe air. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We need to breathe air. We need to get away from the fish and from the water and breathe air to seek things above. We need to breathe the air. You see, friends, listen to me, listen to me. If you marry yourself to the spirit of this age, stay with me, you will find yourself a widow in the next. Love not this world, nor the things of this world, the Bible says. You can't shack up with the devil and expect God to pay the rent. A lot of Christians, they want to go so far as, as they want to just, Pastor, can I cross this line? Like, is there something else? Do I have to, is, do, I have to do this? People try to get closest, as close as possible to the edge and still walk with God. But if somehow I can taste a little bit, whatever it takes, we seem to want to go as close to the edge as possible. But you can't serve two masters. You can't do it. You've got to take a stand. This is what God told Joshua in verse number 6. Joshua, take a stand. Be courageous. Take a stand. Be courageous. You're going to confront many, many obstacles, many giants that will want to bring you down, many influences as you go into the unknown. And I speak to you as well, my brothers and my sister, as you face the unknown, you will come across many obstacles, many things that may not make sense to you. Many giants, many Goliaths will come against you. And you and I need to learn to take a stand for truth, stand, a tr stand for righteousness. Because in the unknown, you'll be so influenced to compromise your life. In the unknown, when you face it, and you face difficulty, and choices and decisions need to be made, and you're not sure, and everybody else is doing it, you can be influenced to fall by the wayside and be like fish who have gills, who don't need to come up and breathe air. But the whale knows that if it can't, it will drown can't do it. Take a stand, God said. Listen, my friends, 
when people hear good things about you, they stay silent. Hmm. When people hear bad things about you, they spread it like wildfire. When they hear nothing about you, they make it up. Point, 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 point. You can't control what people will say about you or perceive things about you. So you might as well please God and do what He says. Take a stand for truth. Especially today. Stop compromising. Stop trying to get your identity through people. Can I say, stop trying to get your identity through people. You are a child of God. A joint heir with Christ. Know who you are and walk in that truth. Possess your possession. This is the lesson that God is giving Joshua, giving to us today. Compromise. Don't compromise. Take a stand. When I first dated my wife and I closed chapter 1 with this story. We're going into chapter 2. We won't have much time tonight, but we'll just touch the base surface. When I first dated Natty, I gave her this illustration. It had nothing to do with her. It was just a situation that I wanted her to know about. And I want to share it with all of you. I'm not so sure I shared this before. I know I shared it in Brantford, but I'm not sure I shared it here. A boy one day found a sparrow. A sparrow hit its head against the window and it almost died, basically dying, but he nurtured it back to life. And he decided to bring his sparrow and introduce him to his canary that he had in his kitchen, a beautiful cage, a beautiful canary that sings so marvelously. And he was hoping, he said to himself, man, I hope, I want this sparrow to sing like my canary. He loved birds. So he took the sparrow and he put it in the cage and they seemed to get along really well. They ate the same food, and seemed to be chirping and things were happening. And one day, he came home from work and he heard something really strange. And he went to his kitchen and he discovered something he never thought possible. He discovered it wasn't the sparrow that was singing like the canary, but rather the canary started singing like the sparrow. I'm speaking to every canary of Jesus Christ here this morning who's got a song in their heart. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Be careful of the sparrow. I love sparrows, don't get me wrong, but be careful of the sparrows. You think you're so strong that you can influence them? Well, maybe you can, but be careful because the other way might happen if you're not careful. That's why God said to come out from among them. Now, there's a balance to this because God has called us to reach out to the sparrows. But you have to learn how to be able to minister to sparrows effectively and not be part of them.
or part of their lifestyle. Amen. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. You want to look at Rahab. We're just going to touch uh, briefly because I, what, what time is it anyway? It's 8 o'clock. Uh, okay, we'll, have, we'll, we'll look at it a little bit. Let's look at chapter 2 in the book of Joshua. Let's begin. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went, came into a harlot's house named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And king of Jericho sent unto Ahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to, to search out our country. And the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass, about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with stalks of flax which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them in the way of Jordan unto the fjords, and soon as they which they pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And behold, they were laid down, and she came up unto them upon the roof and said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sion, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Wow. What a statement from a heathen woman. Wow. Rahab. And here we see a woman who took a stand. Here we see a woman that took a stand in a powerful way. And her name will go down from generation to generation as she enters into the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We see her name and what she did. This ex-prostitute Gentile has her name among the greats in the hall of faith called the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 31. Joshua's getting ready for what will take place in three days. The Lord told them that they would cross into the promised land, but God didn't give them the exact instructions how. So faith is the key. Did you hear what I said? He gave them the instructions. I want to pause and park the car here for about 30 years, but I don't have time. Gives Joshua the directions, at least it seemed that way. Go into the promised land. This is how you get there. But he doesn't give them the details of what you're supposed to do 
once you get into the promised land. My friends, this applies to us on the other side of the cross. How many times will God give you directions to go somewhere, be somewhere, but he won't spell it out. He won't give you the hows, the whys, the if. He won't until you get into that battle, until you get into that place. That's what he told Jeremiah in the 18th chapter. Oh God, why is this happening? Look at the Babylonians. What's going on? I don't understand. Listen, Joshua, uh, Jer Jeremiah, I'm not going to give you the details. I just want you to go to the potter's house. And when you get to the potter's house, I'm going to show you why. Sometimes you have to wait till you get to the potter's house until he gives you the explanation. And that can take a little while. He doesn't always give the instructions clearly. So faith is the key. When you face the unknown, faith is the key. When you face the unknown and you don't know what to do and you're living in a time of transition, there's times you won't know what to say, what to do, and you're going to need faith. You're going to need faith to exercise that faith to keep you going because you won't always understand it. You won't always see it. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. And this is the reason why. Can you trust him? when you're living in the unknown. Oh man, is that important. You often hear me say this because uh, it keeps coming up. My two T's. Can you trust them when you can't trace them? You can't see them. I've been saying that to myself for a long time. Verse 1 and 7, Joshua sends two spies to search the land. It's interesting because in Numbers 13, Moses sent out 12 spies. Remember that? But only two, Joshua and Caleb, brought back good report. And Joshua's doing the very same thing. And I'm sure this time, though, Joshua selected choice men. That's right, choice men with vision and courage. So the spies had walked five miles to Jericho. And once in Jericho, God leads them to Rahab's house. Excuse me? What, 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 what did you say? Well, God has led me to a prostitute's house. Oh, really? Oh, that's nice, Pastor. You, God led you to a... Really? If, if somebody told you, you know what? God has a plan for me, but before I get into the... I got to go visit Rahab. She's a prostitute, by the way. What? I'm, I'm sure you won't be thinking about church Sunday morning. Or maybe you will. I'm not sure. But, did, are you, you're kidding me, right? See, 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 the natural mind can never understand what's going on in the spirit realm. That's why we make our judgments and our assessments based on what we see. And, and, and I can understand that because we all do it. I do it. I'm trying not to do it as much. But it's only natural for us to make assessments by what we see. And here's this leader sending men and they're being led by God to a prostitute's house. Now you've got to be kidding me, right? We've got to be careful sometimes when we make our judgments. I'm sure they didn't understand why is this happening? How can this be? Doesn't make sense. I'm sure that's what Jesse felt when Samuel, who was called by God, was told to go to David's house to anoint the next king. And Jesse presented all of his choice sons, strong, athletic, well-built. None of them fit the bill, except this skinny, 
shepherd that was looked down upon, sweeping manure. He, I'm sure that everybody in that room thought that Samuel lost his mind. Have you noticed this is how God usually operates? He operates in the realm of it doesn't make sense. That's the realm God operates best in. Always operates in that atmosphere of ambiguity because he's trying to show us something that his ways are not our ways. Stop judging things by what you see all the time. Maybe God's got a plan that you don't understand. He's got something. So be careful the people you assess. That person that you think is a nothing could be one of the greatest people you'll ever meet in your entire life. Sometimes God will carry you through roads you don't want to ride on. Listen, roads you didn't pick, roads you didn't foresee, roads you didn't design, and quite frankly, my friends, roads that you don't like at all, but it's still God's will because God is not in your life or my life just for my needs and to do what I want or what pleases me. God has a greater purpose. And many times in that greater purpose, we're not going to see clearly. We won't see the bark, the trunk from the trees. We won't, see able to, we won't be able to decipher. We're not able, it's not clear. It's vague. And there's many reasons why it was vague. First of all, she was an Amorite. And of all the ites, the Hittites, Moabites, Jebusites, none were as cruel and corrupt as the Amorites. These people were known for sacrificing their children. They had the most despised reputation in the land. Can you imagine that? Secondly, Rahab was a prostitute. And I just mentioned it's difficult why God would lead them, but in reality, what safer place would there be? <laughs> That's just for free. What safer place would there be? She, they're in the prostitute. Nobody's going to... I don't know. It's just, but just how can this be all these crazy things? It leads them to Rahab. Remember, my friends, Jesus never shielded himself from those whose reputations were tarnished. Prostitutes, publicans, sinners. The truth is that Jesus never feared to be in the company of those that were sinners. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than these people? Well, maybe you are spiritually because of Christ, but we're all sinners saved by grace. Can I, you're, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I think what I did, I would never associate myself with a person like this. Well, you have to be careful. I just mentioned, be careful, don't compromise. But, but, but I might want to talk to this person because I love this person so much that I want them to see Jesus, whether you're a prostitute, a publican, or a plumber. It makes no difference. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, my friends. And that should be your mandate and my mandate. I don't care if that person is gay. That's right. I know what's going on today. But because that person is gay and all, oh, that doesn't mean I can't love that person and try to reach him for Christ. My goodness, what's happened to us? Even drag queens still have to have compassion. You know, one of the first p p people that God led me to when I first got saved was a drag queen. Unbelievable. Didn't even know what they were. I was at my mother's store. We were closing up at 9 o'clock on a Thursday night. I remember it distinctly. 
talking about God leading people. And I just said to my mom, Mom, I'm not coming home with you. I'll take the bus later. Because we had the car. We'd go home together. Worked with, worked with her for two years, or a year and a half. I said, what do you mean? I said, Mom, I don't know. I just, I want to, I, I just feel I need to, just to walk down the streets. What are you talking Mom, I lost my mind. just felt this impulse to get out and just walk down St. Hubert. And I'm walking down St. Hubert, and I'm scratching. I said, what up, what up? Then I ended up in St. Hubert and St. Catharines. Anybody know, anybody know Montreal? Been to Montreal, St. Hubert and St. Catherine? Well, it wasn't a very well, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't a holy place, to say the least. And I see this, I thought it was a woman at first, this woman, and she's right in the corner, and she's dancing or something really crazy. I don't know what she was doing. And I just I just looked at her, and I started preaching, and just sharing the word with her. Not really preaching, just sharing the word with her. And she looked right at me, she says, I know who you are! Says, oh my goodness, what's going on? I felt a little nervous. I know who you are. I said, well, wait a minute. I've never been here before. You know? I know who you are. I go, what, what, what do you mean? You're one of those tongue talkers, aren't you? Said, what? Tongue talkers? I said, yeah, I speak in tongues. I said, what's, what, what's the big deal here? And she started to tell me her story, his story. Raised in the church, and went on talking to me about God, and then she got upset with God one day, and she turned her back on him. Romans chapter 1, worship God, knew God, but didn't glorify God, changed everything who God is, and, and changed him, changed the teachings, didn't want to serve him, mocked him, and the Bible says, as a res result of that, God turned them over to a reprobate mind, changed their desires, man with a woman to man with man, women with women, read it for yourself. She served God, but spat in God's face. She told me this. And she deliberately disobeyed God and continued in her lust. And God turned her over. You know, you can go on sinning, but if you keep sinning and keep mocking God, I tell you, be sure your sin will find you out. Sometimes God will lead you in places you don't even know why you're there. So he, they lead him to Rahab's house, not knowing exactly what was going on. And so Rahab is mentioned twice in the New Testament. Both times she's mentioned in honor and not in dishonor. She lied and she was a prostitute and the Bible doesn't even mention her sin. Why doesn't the Bible mention that she lied or that she sinned as a detriment to her or a mark against her? Because her sin was forgiven. Her sin was forgiven. This speaks of God's grace and mercy that God can change any man from a Jacob to an Israel, even Judah. We think of Judah, the lion of Judah, the greatest tribe of Israel. Do you know what kind of person Judah was? He slept with prostitutes. He slept with his daughter-in-law. Genesis chapter 38, you can read. All these men that we say, oh wow, look how holy. When you look at their background, they were some of the most vile, corrupt people you'll ever meet. So what does this tell me? God is a God of grace and mercy. He can turn anyone around. You're not who you are because you're so holy and righteous. It's because of what God has done in your life. The 
Look what David did. Murderer, adulterer, liar, deceiver. He was a terrible father, didn't care for his children. But was arguably one of the greatest men of God that ever lived. How can you be? How can you see? God can turn things around like that. You don't have to live in your past, David. Jacob, you don't have to live in your past. Rahab, you don't have to live in your past. Listen, my friends, you must never be a prisoner of your past. No, 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 no. Don't live in your past. Don't dwell on your faults and what you've done all the time. Your past is meant to be a life lesson and not a life sentence. Your life sentence, that is over. You've been brought before the courtroom of God and he's looked at you through his son. You've been acquitted of your sins. You're no longer guilty. Your past will bring you back to what you used and some of you are still dating your past. You've got to marry your future. What God has in front of you into the unknown because you can never start the next chapter in your life if you keep rereading the last one, my friend. Those days are over. And because you've had a painful past, Rahab, because you've had a painful past, Jacob, doesn't mean you can't have a powerful future. Isn't that the picture of the cross right there? Isn't that what Jesus came to do? To save us from our sins, to redeem us from our past, to bring us into our destiny. This is the story of Joshua. Over with the past, into the new. The promised land is a picture of heaven. Joshua, a picture of Christ. The wilderness, a picture of our sin. Rahab, a picture of the church. Well, stay with me. Get something powerful later on. But what time is it? 8.30? You know what? Give me two more minutes and we'll close. Is that fair? I see some of you yawning, so I'm just going to... If I'm putting you to sleep, let me know and then... We'll... You see, my friends, the problem is... Watch this now. There's a problem. I've got a problem here. Is that we are in love with what was and we're not willing to explore in what is. We don't want to step out out of our comfort zone. You see, when you're in the unknown, you always, that's kind of strange, the unknown. It's like if you can't swim very well, you're in a large body of water and you can't touch the bottom, you get a little nervous, you know. In the unknown, you can't touch the bottom. Either you're going to swim or you're going to drown. It takes a lot of faith. Anytime God has ever done anything great in my life and my wife's life, we've always had to step out in faith. Any church we've ever come to pastor, any church, there was always an element of faith that I needed to get there because of all the obstacles that were against me and my family. Because we're in a battle Life is a journey. There's all kinds of obstacles in this world. She said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's how you deal with the unknown. 
how you deal with your tribulations. Daily devotions, we're talking about Job. What a fascinating story. You don't want to miss these teachings, friends. Job is, you know, we don't talk much about Job. Job is one of the greatest characters in the entire Bible. What this man went through, it's, it's almost indescribable, and yet he survived. We're going to look at some principles in his life. We see similarities here. Job faced so many unknown situations. Can you imagine Job? The Bible says he, there was nobody as righteous in Job. Nobody as godly. He would pray every day, fast, seek God, cry out to God. He'd even make sacrifices for his children. Every, he, there was none like Job in the entire, and he lost his entire family, were killed and murdered, lost his home, his land. He lost his animals. He, the only person that survived was his wife. And his wife was his worst enemy. Told him, you should die, curse God and die. Like, Lord, if you're taking my kids, you might as well take my wife too. I mean, what? But no. Sometimes God will leave somebody in your life that you might think is a problem, but that person ends up being exactly what you need. You just don't see it. But Job said something powerful. Curse God and die, she said. He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to trust him in the unknown. I've lost everything. I've got nothing. But I'm going to trust him in the unknown. I'm going to praise him in the unknown. The Bible says, and he bowed down and worshiped God. What a testimony. What faith. Would you be able to do that, my friend? And so, one last thought, we're going to wrap it up. In our text, we see that Rahab, she lied, but she didn't lie for herself. She lied for others because she wanted to protect these spies. See, she could have been a hero in Jericho if she exposed these spies and told the king, but she decided against it. She took a risk and she hid them. She took a risk, and I want to stop here. She took a risk. She took a risk. When, when you're in the unknown, you're going to need to take a risk. When you're in the unknown, the normal's not there. The tangible isn't there. What you're used to is not there. Your comfort zone is not there. And so you need to take a risk. And to take a risk is going to take a lot of faith. But if you don't take a risk, you will risk everything. If you don't step out in faith and take a risk and get out of the boat like Peter did, you'll never learn to walk on water. We mock Peter. What do you have? Peter was this, Peter. Peter was the only one that walked on water aside from Jesus because he took a risk. A very well-known preacher. If I mentioned his name, every one of you would recognize who he is. Just before he died, they asked him a question. Do you have any regrets in your life? He says, not really, but I, if I think about it, I, I, have, I have two regrets, he said. Two regrets. So what are they? Number one, I would spend more time with my family. This man traveled the whole world. He was the greatest evangelist of all time, I believe. Traveled the whole world. And the second thing he said, I would take more risks in my life. 
if you don't take risks and step out of your comfort zone, life will be very boring, my friend. You'll never amount to much, really. You'll, you'll, you'll be okay. You'll, you'll just fit the status quo. You'll be a nice Christian, comes to church, sits down, amen, praise the Lord, great sermon, gets up, goes home, have lunch, go back to work. Nothing wrong with that. God bless you. But is that what called, God's called us to do just to kind of fit in? Just a part of the status quo? Or has God called us to make a difference in this world? You will never be able to make a difference if you don't take a risk when you're in the unknown and begin to trust God when things seem to unravel before you. What will you do? What will you do? Rahab took a risk. She risked her life, the king's wrath, all because she heard what God had done. Now watch this. She just heard it. She never seen it. Did you hear it? She only heard it and she believed. Oh my pastor, I'll only believe it if I see it. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. She only heard it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as she heard the word of God, faith started to rise up and she believed. She believed in the only God and she served many gods. She took a stand, the only one we see in her. And then when the judgment came, her house was left standing. Her life and her house was left standing because she first took a stand. When you take a stand for Christ, my friends, oh, everything else is sinking sand, but on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I'm going to invite Pastor Josh to come, and as we're waiting for Josh, maybe you have a question, if there's any questions. I like taking a few questions. I don't always have the answers, but I might be able to give you an answer. If there's any question about the sermon or any question about yesterday, last week's sermon or anything about Joshua or the book of Joshua or anything concerning the promised land or whatever it is, if you'd like to ask a question, we like to designate time during Bible study uh, for you to ask questions. We want this to be personal. And you know, you're taking notes. Maybe there's things you don't understand. This is the opportunity to ask questions. If you don't have any questions, 